um, speak on this next uh, bit of scripture that we're working through this morning. Now, um, it's from Matthew's Gospel, and at first you would think, oh, well, that's really obvious, um, but there's more to it, and so we'll look at that. So if you've got a Bible there, um, in any form, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I'd like to begin this message by telling you that after reading this scripture, I immediately rang Habitat for Humanity and got them to collect most of our furniture and lots of the stuff from our cupboards um, and garage. That's how I would like to begin this message. <laughs> but it wouldn't be the truth. We don't want to end up, John and I, my husband, don't want to end up like Ananias and Sapphira, who ended up dead because they'd lied about a donation to the early church. <laughs> but certainly, at the time I began thinking about this reading, John and I were, and still are, in the process of downsizing our belongings getting ready to move into a smaller apartment in a retirement village. And we are giving a lot away to our friends and family and Habitat for Humanity and other charities. And this process has brought up a lot of issues for John and myself uh, and for all of us that are, that are relevant um, concerning our attitudes towards our wealth and possessions. But let's step back a little and look at what's been happening in the Sermon on the Mount up until now. And as we've seen over the past, well, year really, as we've kept diving into it, uh, we've realized that Jesus was getting at deeper issues than would at first seem. Jesus was concerned about attitudes, about faith and motivations, and that's not changed. Later, Matthew records, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And this begs the question, what had the scribes 
been teaching then. For years, the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders had been majoring on teaching rules and regulations, many of which were not actually given by God, but had been added on by themselves. And try as they might to be obedient and faithful in observing all these requirements, the people were not actually getting any closer to God. In fact, they were going further away from him as the rules had turned into a burden that to be carried rather than a blessing from God to help them live full, fulfilling lives. And the prophets of old had warned about this. We can especially see this in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, mortal, I love that word, mortal, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. But with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now this is actually a, a descendant of David because King David was long gone. And he shall feed them and he shall and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. They shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Whoa, the condemnation of the shepherds is heavy, on the side of what they did not do. They didn't care. They didn't take care of the weak or tend the sick or bind up the injured. They didn't look for the lost and they basically weren't doing their job. Later in Matthew, Jesus denounces the religious leaders of the day. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. This is in stark contrast to the way that Jesus saw people. He looked on them with compassion. He saw that they needed encouragement and help. And in Luke 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to bring good news to the, to the poor, he sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is what he's doing. This is what Jesus is doing in all his teaching. 
and especially as Matthew's gathered it together here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus isn't overturning the truths of the Hebrew scriptures, but he's showing the people how much God loves them and wants them to develop a deeper relationship with him. So it's all about attitude, it's about heart, and it's about I, and serving in the right way. It's about spiritual formation, and it's about being centered in Jesus. The key part of the passage of scripture that we're looking at today is the middle bit. It often is about the I. Now, David made a good point last week. Actually, David, you made several good points last week. <laughs> There's one particular point about identifying what God has control, that what, what has control over us, whether it be a drug or an obsession or bitterness we're holding on to or doing things to impress others. We need to deal with those bondages that are preventing us getting closer to God. We need to see, see things how God sees them. We can't serve two masters. If we're serving another master or something else that controls us, we're actually indulging in idolatry, much condemned in the Bible. Now, even though it's not actually recorded that Jesus handed out money, his words to the crowd make very clear his position because he told parables about forgiving debts and giving. He spoke a lot about stuff. And in Luke 12, uh, verses 13 to 21, he tells a parable about a rich fool building larger barns to store his crops, not knowing that he would be dead by morning and it would all be useless. He confronted the rich young man who was following the customary teaching and asking, what must I do to have eternal life? It seems the young man had done a good job of observing the commandments, but Jesus could see what was holding him back from deepening his relationship with God. He said, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But the young man couldn't do it and we're told that he went away grieving because he'd got many possessions. And the disciples, when they witnessed this uh, conversation were a bit perturbed and they asked well who can then be saved because they as Israelites of their time were taught that wealth was a sign of blessing by God so Jesus made that iconic statement it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God means that treasures and possessions are actually very difficult to, to hold on to lightly. We, we do treasure them, don't we? 
And as I mentioned at the beginning, John and I are going through the process of having to make tough decisions on some of the stuff that we've got, some of the stuff that we until now have thought really worthwhile and valuable, even though we've got them in cupboards and we never even look at them. We need to sit lightly with these possessions. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. Um, that's not an Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> I am actually gladly uh, giving them away. But I had to catch myself last week patting us on the back when the guy from the Salvation Army came and he said that they were so grateful for donations from generous people like ourselves. I had to be a bit careful with that when in truth we were actually glad to have our surplus stuff uh, taken away so easily. And John and I have many, many times been on the receiving end of generosity, both in terms of money and other blessings. We have literally been given thousands and thousands of dollars over the course of time. It's been a humbling and moving experience to know that there are people who live out their Christian faith in terms of having a generous heart. Some years ago, 2005 it would have been, we were handed an envelope anonymously and as I sauntered across the kitchen and opened this envelope, inside was $6,000 with a little note that said, go, go for a trip, go take a break, $6,000. So John and I went to Israel and we were doubly blessed by that uh, trip there. And another more recently, last year uh, in October, John and I were going out to celebrate our wedding anniversary and we'd planned to go to the tannery and have lunch there and watch a movie. But in the car park, we didn't see a step and we fell over and we were walking arm in arm, so we both fell over and I fell heavily on my knees, but John fell very heavily on his hands and they were just bleeding and it turned out he'd broken uh, one of his fingers. But when we fell, I heard a lady say, oh no, oh no, oh no. And lots of people just gathered around us and helped us. And someone went into the mall and got a chair uh, for John to sit on. And, and then another man rushed over to his car and got out his first aid kit and came over and spent ages tending to John's wounds and cleaning them up and bandaging them. So eventually, we were still determined to go for our lunch and go to our movie. <laughs> So they helped us. We were, we were quite wobbly, and especially John with his, with his illness. Um, so they helped us into the cafe, and, and we said goodbye, and thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thank you, thank you. So we ordered our meal, and then the lady in the cafe said, those people have just paid for your lunch. We, we you know, we fell, and we were injured, but we went home feeling really good and really blessed and really encouraged. It was so nice. So what we do for others and the attitudes we have to our possessions 
are indicators of how we are maturing in Christ-likeness. And treasures in heaven doesn't mean brownie points for some kind of pie in the sky when we die, but instead it means being filled with God's Holy Spirit and living and moving in the fruit of the Spirit, as listed by Paul in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are treasures in heaven. It's also sobering to think that every dollar that we spend on some fad or nice clothes or appealing gadget is a dollar that could be spent helping a refugee in Bangladesh or Ukraine or a person devastated by a natural disaster like a flood or something in the world. Some of you, I am sure, don't say it, but put your hand up if you know who Robert Pierce is. Ooh, nobody. Huh? Well, Robert Pierce was born in 1914 in America and became a Baptist minister. On a mission trip to China, he met a teacher who brought to him an abandoned child and asked, what are you going to do about her? Pierce gave the woman his last five dollars and promised to send the same amount each month to help the woman care for the child. As a result of this and other experiences, he developed a vision, a world vision, that people who had plenty in the world could help those who were struggling. Yes, Robert Pierce was the founder of World Vision. It all comes back to our worldview, how we view our things, our treasures. Many of us are not overly wealthy, but we do things to protect our stuff. We put our car in a garage, we wash our clothes to keep them in good order. We spend time looking after our garden and our house, maintenance. Nothing wrong with this. But how much time do we spend on protecting our spiritual treasure? How much time washing our hearts in repentance, weeding out bad habits, protecting ourselves from indulging in things that stain our character? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And added, if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. We've got a disadvantage, I think, in living in our Western culture, where stuff is so tempting and so easily accessible in shops and online. Advertising, if you'll notice, focuses on what we don't have. And we begin to believe the advertising. We don't have it. We should have it. We deserve it. We are worth it. Money can bring us happiness. We just need that extra thing. Does wealth bring us happiness? Are all rich people content, happy with healthy relationships? No, of course not. 
Our modern culture applauds ambition and social power and celebrates accumulation of wealth and possessions. But as followers of Jesus, we should celebrate those who act with generosity and integrity rather than being impressed by wealth, especially wealth obtained by dubious practices or investments in unethical activities. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon pondered the issues of treasures. Whatever my heart desired, I did not keep from them. He also indulged himself in work, sexual pleasures, and even in the pride of gaining knowledge. I'm going to challenge you here a bit. Lately, we've been watching some BBC programs on YouTube about the Victoria and Albert Museums in, um, in the UK. And they, these programs have been really interesting. What these conservators do is absolutely amazing. But in the light of this message, I thought, what are museums but institutional hoarding of treasures on earth? <laughs> I don't want to go into that debate. There's probably some people here who are working at the Canterbury Museum. My daughter worked there for a while. <laughs> In the end, Solomon realized that all this, even gaining knowledge, was all chasing after wind. And thinking about the problems that can be caused by wealth and, and treasures isn't new. In his letter to Timothy, Paul states, we brought nothing into the world so that we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And Paul also said, Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. So in summary, we want to surely focus on our treasure in heaven, which is here and now, and deepening our relationship with Jesus, becoming more centered on him, and being intent on serving only him. And we need to refuse to be sucked in by persuasive advertising that really encourages selfishness and to accumulate stuff. By falling for this kind of spending, we'll have nothing left over to give generously to others. There'll always be things that we can't have. And there'll always be people who have more and better things than we do. So we can never win this race. Our identity isn't found in our stuff. It's found in Jesus. And you know, we see that whenever there's a disaster, locally or globally, people pour out their hearts and empty their pockets. They pull together and help their neighbors. They give them shelter and food and and clothing 
what would our world look like if we lived like this all the time? Do you think that's what Jesus was saying? Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sensed something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.